of our seemingly orderly world, there exist phenomena that defy all logical explanation. My name is Conroy, a former agent of the Redwood Bureau, and it is with a heavy heart and a burdened conscience that I bring forward these hidden truths. Throughout my tenure with the Bureau, I encountered countless cases that challenged the very fabric of reality. These incidents, often dismissed or buried deep in classified files, represent a stark deviation from the normalcy people tend to cling to. Consider the staggering number of unexplained phenomena that occur globally each year. They range from mysterious disappearances in rural towns to bizarre occurrences in urban centers. These events are not mere anomalies. They are windows into the unknown, glimpses of the inexplicable forces that operate just beyond our perception. Take, for example, the case of a small town suddenly plagued by a series of unexplainable events. This particular case was chilling not just for its severity, but the bizarre nature of the phenomena. We arrived at a scene straight out of a horror film. The streets, usually bustling with life, were desolate, cloaked in an unsettling silence. Homes that should have resonated with the sounds of family life were instead scenes of unexplained and horrifying transformations. The epicenter of this chaos was a young individual who, unbeknownst to them, had become a vessel for something incomprehensibly otherworldly. The manifestations around them were grotesque. Inanimate objects seemed to warp and twist in impossible ways. Shadows moved with malevolent intent, and the air itself felt thick with a palpable sense of dread. Our team witnessed what can only be described as a rupture in the fabric of reality. Walls and floors in the individual's home appeared to melt and reform, defying physics. The air was heavy with a static charge that made the hairs on your neck stand. It was as if we were standing on the threshold of another world, one that was intruding into our own. The Bureau's response, as always, was swift and methodical. We cordoned off the town implemented strict quarantine measures. The individual at the heart of this anomaly was contained, but not without significant losses. They exhibited abilities that we had never seen, manipulating their surroundings in ways that defied explanation. These cases are not just isolated incidents. They are part of a larger, more ominous narrative. A narrative that forces us to reconsider what we know about the world around us. They challenge the boundaries of science and push us into realms of the unknown and the unexplored. As I share these reports, I do so with a sense of urgency and a plea for awareness. The incidents you will hear about are more than mere recounts of unexplained events. They are a testament to the mysteries that lie in the periphery of our understanding, a reminder of the unseen forces that shape our reality in ways we cannot fully comprehend. In revealing these truths, I expose myself to risks far greater than mere personal danger. I challenge the very institution that seeks to keep these phenomena hidden. But the public has a right to know, to understand the unexplainable occurrences that happen around us. Occurrences that are often more real and more terrifying than we dare, than to, we admit. dare to admit. Ever since I can remember, the sounds inside my head have been as loud and chaotic as the world outside. I'm Mark, by the way. Mark Henderson. Diagnosed with schizophrenia just about as soon as I could talk, my life's been a constant battle to distinguish between what's real and what's created by my disorder. I've learned to live with it, to a degree. 
thanks to an army of doctors and psychologists, as well as a mountain of antipsychotics that keep the hallucinations at bay. But even with every option available to me, there's nothing to make it stop. Not completely. I live alone in a one-bedroom apartment in the heart of the city. It's nothing fancy, but it's mine. The constant and never-ending bustle of the city, in a way, helps drown out the ceaseless thoughts. I work at a local bookstore, a quaint little place that gives me a sense of normalcy. The people there don't know about my condition, and I've worked very hard to keep it that way. My life is a routine, and that's how I manage. Wake up, take meds, work, come home, repeat. You see, to the outside world, I'm just another guy. I wear the same mask of normalcy everyone else does. I smile, I nod, I engage in small talk about the weather, the latest book releases, everything that doesn't matter. No one needs to know about the raging struggle in my head. No one is close enough to me to notice the cracks in my facade. But when I'm alone, it's a different story. It's just me and my thoughts. And sometimes, those thoughts aren't really mine. The medication helps, sure. But it's like a dam holding back a river. And sometimes the dam overflows. Occasionally, late at night, I hear things. Whispers calling out to me. Dr. Abrams says I've made great progress and that it's normal for lingering effects of my disorder to filter through. Easy for someone to say who's never experienced hearing and seeing shit that isn't there. Growing up wasn't easy. I loathed going to school. Kids are cruel, especially to someone like me. They call me names. Mad Mark the weird kid. I learned to stay in the background, to ignore the things I saw and heard, to keep my head down. But you can't hide from what's inside your head. You can never escape your own mind. My mom did the best she could, I suppose. Dad left when I was young, and she, well, she had her own demons to fight. She believed in tough love, said I had to build the will to repel the darkness. But there's only so much strength you can muster when you're fighting an invisible enemy. Now, it's just me and my routines. They keep me grounded, give me a sense of control. The bookstore keeps me sane. It's quiet and peaceful. A needed contrast to the chaos lurking in the corners of my mind. But the books, each one is a gateway to a different world, a world where I can escape, even if it's just for a little while. Even the best defenses have their breaking points, and my breaking point came in the form of supply chain issues. I didn't think much of it at first, a day without meds. Maybe two. I've been through a lot worse. But as I laid my head down to go to sleep that first night, it started. Mark, Mark. My name came as a whisper from somewhere in the corner of my dark room. It wasn't the fact that I was hearing voices again. My name in particular was a common occurrence. It was more so the feeling of dread that followed the harsh whisper. What was different about this time in particular, I couldn't tell you, but I just couldn't shake it. Something deep and existential seemed to reach out at me through the dark. And that first night was a long one, the longest in a while. I didn't get a minute of sleep, and my mind was a constant stop and go of what-if thoughts followed by surges of adrenaline and intense panic. 
The relentless ticking of the clock at the bookstore felt like a countdown to my sanity. Each passing minute was a step further into a world I'd fought so hard to keep locked inside my mind. Customers came and went, their faces blurring into indistinct shapes, their voices a distant murmur against the growing storm in my head. I tried to focus on the mundane tasks, shelving books, tidying up, anything to anchor myself to the present, to the normal. But it was like grasping at smoke. The harder I tried, the more elusive it became. The whispers were creeping in, almost like thoughts, but coming from behind me. I found myself glancing over my shoulder, peering into the quiet corners of the bookstore, half expecting to see something lurking there. Even though I knew what this was, it didn't make it any easier, any less disconcerting. Every time these things start again, it's like I've forgotten about all the other times. I somehow convince myself this is new, this is different and worse than ever. My hands shook as I handled the books. I could feel the eyes of my colleagues on me, their concern barely masked. I wanted to reassure them, to say I was fine, just a little off today but I couldn't get the words to leave my lips. They were trapped in the maelstrom of my fraying mind. As the hours dragged on, the bookstore and its quiet peace became less of a sanctuary and more of a prison, trapping me in its still walls with my fracturing thoughts. The rows of books felt like bars, keeping me in a world that was slowly slipping from my grasp. The familiar became foreign, the safe, unsafe. Every ring of the phone, every chime of the door, sent jolts of anxiety through me. I was on edge, waiting, dreading the next wave of whispers. Knowing that one of these times I turned to the empty dark corners speaking my name, they wouldn't be empty. As the clock struck the end of my shift, I let out a sigh of relief mixed with terror. The street outside was dark and quiet, eerie compared to its usual bustling energy. Every step felt like a journey through a landscape of fear. Every rustle of leaves or distant car horn made me jump, my heart racing. The once lively city where I could disappear into apathetic anonymity now just felt like my own personal labyrinth of paranoia and dread. I quickened my pace toward the pharmacy, desperate for safety and relief from this growing nightmare. With my heart pounding in my chest, I pushed open the door to the pharmacy. The line snaked around the store each person with their own concerns and worries, unaware of the turmoil raging inside my mind. My palms seemed to pour out sweat as I waited, tapping my foot anxiously on the tiled floor. Finally, it was my turn. The pharmacist's voice cut through the air like a death knell, shattering any glimmer of hope I had left. I'm sorry, Mr. Henderson he said with a sympathetic tone that only added to my frustration. We still haven't received that shipment. Maybe check back tomorrow? His words hit me like a head-on collision, sending my frayed sanity spiraling further down into despair. Maybe tomorrow. The words repeated in my mind like a mantra. I knew that nothing would change by tomorrow, but what could I do? What can you do? My thoughts echoed from an alley beside me as I passed, sending my heart into a palpitation. I avoided looking as much as possible while quickening my pace, but I couldn't help notice the black mass from my peripheral vision. This part is the worst. It's always a variation of the same pattern. The whispers start, quiet and infrequent at first. 
paranoia and panic creep in, destroying my mental state. The whispers become more frequent, but less pronounced, making me doubt if I'm hearing things or overthinking my own inner voice. Then, I start to see things in the corner of my eyes. I hurry up the stairs to my apartment, the sounds of my shoes echoing off the steps, not even audible amongst the panic and doubts rattling inside my head. Why do I have to wait until the meds are empty to pick up a new prescription? There's an order to things. An order? What order? Does this feel like order? You know that you have to follow the order. The voice is right. I am right. It doesn't matter what I could have or should have done. I had to follow the order. It's the only way. But you have to follow the order. My shaking hand struggles to slot the key into my lock. The encroaching darkness of the hallway is leaning in on me threatening to pull me into its unforgiving void if I don't seek shelter in my apartment. Wait, why are the lights off in the hallway? The The lights lights are always off. off. The lights are always off. With the sweet sound of a click and turn, my door creaks open. Hurriedly, I throw myself through and start shutting it behind me before even pulling my keys all the way out. I struggle in an odd limbo with my left arm on the outside of the door, trying desperately to free my keys from the lock, while tendrils of darkness swoop in on the door and reach out for my arm. They jingle as I wrench them free, pulling my arm back inside and slamming the door behind me before locking the door lock, deadbolt, and sliding chain. I catch my breath and try to slow my pounding heart telling myself that something as simple as walking home was never any real danger. The danger is real, but the danger is real. Maybe not physical, but in a way that's hard to describe. It's only now that I notice how utterly silent it is in my apartment. My ears ring at a volume that shouldn't exist in a space with no sound. Static fizzles across my vision as I look around the utterly still room. Now, overanalyzing every detail of every object. So strange. Everything is so strange. My thoughts begin to vortex on this string of concepts and feelings, and quickly I make my way to the couch in search of a distraction. I swipe the remote from the table the feeling of it in my hand barely tangible as I try to hold on to the moment. I swear I left the remote on the couch when last I watched TV. It was right where you left it. No, that's not right. It was right where I left it. The sounds of a commercial with a man speaking Spanish filled the room. Absently, I clicked the remote, running through the channels, not really focused on what was on the TV. The reality was that I was searching for something that I couldn't find. Not on a television channel, anyways. I'm not sure how long I sat there before the TV became just another nightmare. I clicked the channel up button to find the disconcerting sound of hissing static accompanied by those chaotic dancing masses of light and dark pixels. Channel up. Static. Channel up. Static. Three channels back down to whatever was on just a moment ago. Static. I press the buttons, changing the channel as fast as I can, noting that every single channel answers me back with the crackling hiss of chaotic static. I notice one of the channels has a pattern that appears different than all the ones I'd been pressing past. Stopping the incessant pressing, my eyes are glued to the screen. Pixels coalesce in the center, creating a growing black mass that reaches towards the edges of the screen. It grows, slowly, until no white pixels are left. My eyes are locked onto the wavering black mass, 
thumb hovering over the button ready to change the channel. My heart surged with anticipation as white pixels grew from the center. And the white pixels grew and swirled slowly, picking a place to reveal an image. A white outline of a person was left behind. In an odd, pixelated wave, the outline slowly filled in with black and white pixels until a complete image was left behind. It was someone sitting on a couch. The image continued filling in with more and more detail until the face was recognizable. Staring at me through the TV was myself, sitting exactly how I was sitting with the remote in my hand. While my eyes focused and defocused on the image and my reflection overlaid, a weird sensation formed in my mind. Almost like a disconnect, where I wasn't sure which image was actually myself. The feeling grew until my swirling mind felt detached from reality. In a panic, I pressed my thumb down to get the horrific image out of my sight. My thumb slapped down against my index finger, finding no remote. I looked down in shock, and then quickly back at the TV to see the image of me wearing a disturbing grin. Just let go. That familiar whisper came from the TV speakers. The remote was in his hand, not mine. The room was spinning as I got to my feet, intent on making the TV stop. With the remote nowhere in sight, I was going to unplug it. Every step forward felt like walking across a waterbed, while the other me on the TV continued urging me to just let go. Just let go. I reached behind the TV, pulling the cord, only for it to come loose without any resistance. Just it wasn't even plugged in. I stumbled back around to the front of the TV to find the screen broken out. Suddenly, the weight in my right hand feels overbearing. Just let go. The whisper echoes through my mind. I can't stand it anymore. The hammer clatters to the floor. I run to my room, slamming and locking the door behind me. I sit huddled in the corner of my dark room, wide-eyed and trembling. Just let go. I don't know what to do. Just let go. This night is longer than the first. Much longer. I can't sleep as my heavy eyelids spring open every time they are about to close. The sun seems to take forever to finally rise through my window. My head is pounding, and my nerves are frayed. I need to get back to the pharmacy. They have to have gotten in my meds by now. Just, just let go. I know what I'll do. Just let go. I'll call Dr. Abrams. The phone rings. It rings again. My muscles ache with anticipation. It rings one more time before Dr. Abrams answers with a very detached tone. Yes? D- Dr. Dr. Abrams? It's me. M- Mark Henderson. I'm aware. What can I do for you? I... Doctor, there, there's an issue at the pharmacy. I can't get my prescription. Yes? A supply chain issue. It seems to be affecting a lot of my patients. I'm sure, but what can I do, Doctor? I... I'm in a bad way. I need to fill my prescription. Maybe you could- Just let go. What? Why would you say that? Just let go. Please, don't say that. Why are you saying that? Just let go. 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 I hung up the phone and threw it at the wall, tears streaming down my face. I'm not sure what the hell is happening, but this isn't like any of the other times. 
I can't remember an instance of other people being a part of my delusions. This is bad. Like, really bad. I need to get down to the pharmacy. And if they don't have my meds, I'll go to another one. I grab my keys and wallet and head for the door. No time to shower. No reason to change. I need my meds. And I need them now. I completely avoid looking at myself in the mirror as I brush past it. I don't want to see that face again. I don't want to see that smile. I fling open my front door and freeze. Time feels like it has slowed down once again. The world begins to swirl around me. In front of me is my next door neighbor, Miss Thompson, hunched over and watering the hallway carpet. She turns to me and she wears that damn smile. The same one I was wearing. Just let go. It was too much. I turn around, slamming the door and double locking it, my heart pounding in my chest. Through the peephole, I see Miss Thompson turn around and look at me with that damn smile plastered across her face. And then I see it. Her pupils dilate, like a shutter on an old film camera, shrinking and opening again. Just let go. I sink against the door, sobbing, rocking back and forth. It follows me. It's in everyone. Then I hear it. Just let go. I look up to the vent on my ceiling, the whisper of my voice echoing from within. Just let go. No, 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 no. Oh no, no, no. I scurry away from the vent to my room. I need to get out of here. I slam my door and lock it, then push my desk in front of it for good measure. The whispers continue from outside my room. Just let go. No, stop. I cover my ears, but I can still hear them. Shut up. Just shut the fuck up. I scream into my pillow, trying to drown out the voices. Just let go. I can't take it anymore. 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 And with a primal yell, I grabbed the nearest thing at hand, the desk chair, and smashed it through my bedroom window. I fall to the ground two stories below, landing on my feet and shattering my ankles. My body collapses to the ground, where my head then smacks against the pavement. The cool breeze on my face is refreshing. The screaming pain in my ankles is nothing compared to the agony in my mind. In excruciating crawls, I make my way from that godforsaken apartment building just let go. Just let go. The apartment building seems to scream from every open window. The whispers are more of a yell, reaching out to me, surrounding me. I look up to the clear blue sky above. A crow flies by, cawing in disdain as I follow its path, wishing that I too could fly away. Something catches my eye. There, on the water tower, on the very topmost part of a building, reads the three words painted in blood-red letters. Just. Let. Go. It's all too much. The sound of sirens blare out from somewhere in the distance as the swirling black takes over my vision, and everything fades to sweet, quiet darkness. This episode is sponsored by June's Journey. What is horror to you? Monsters? Murder? Mystery? Well, if human monsters are your thing, 
June's Journey is the game for you, albeit in a more lighthearted tone. June's Journey is a hidden object game with a thrilling murder mystery set in the Roaring Twenties. You play as June on the hunt for your sister's murderer. Discover clues through exciting hidden object scenes with beautiful and atmospheric illustrations and music. Victory brings you closer to new plot points and suspenseful answers. When not hunting for clues, you can customize your own luxurious estate island with gardens, buildings, and decor. Or chat and play with or against other players too, in the Detective Club, where you could even put your skills to the test in the Detective League. June's journey is both relaxing and fun to play. With my busy schedule, I find it's the perfect game to pick up and play whenever I've got a free moment. It doesn't demand too much time, and it's pretty satisfying solving puzzles quickly and unlocking new clues. Can you crack the case? Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Signal connection restored. I wake up to a harsh beeping. My eyes fluttered open slowly, struggling to adjust to the bright fluorescent light above. Glancing around... I take in my surroundings. I was in a hospital room, a heart rate monitor beeping steadily beside me. The IV drip felt cool and comforting against my arm, but also invasive. From the end of crisp, white sheets, I see two casts poking out, but I don't feel them. The taste of metal fills my mouth as some breathing apparatus is strapped across my face. A nurse walks past the door, her heels click-clacking against the linoleum floor as she hurried by. I tried to sit up, but winced as pain shot through my body. My entire being felt heavy, as if I'd been lugging around a ton of bricks for days. I must have been out for quite some time, the last thing I remember was falling from the window and shattering my ankles. The apartment building had seemed to scream at me from every window, telling me to just let go, and then everything went black. The whispers were still here, though, peeking through the veil of fog, plaguing my mind. They echoed like a never-ending string of thoughts demanding for me to listen. My stomach rumbled loudly, demanding food. I lifted my head slightly to get a better look around. There was a tray on the bedstand next to me, with a bowl of soup and some crackers. The smell alone made my mouth water. I couldn't remember the last time I ate. The broth smelled like home-cooked chicken noodle soup with fresh herbs mixed in. Eagerly, I picked up the tray and brought it to my lap, doing my best to sit up while fighting through the pain and soreness. I ripped open the crackers and shoved them into my mouth while drinking down the cold soup. I didn't care that it was cold. It was delicious. It wasn't until I was nearly done scarfing down the meal that I noticed the folded-up piece of paper on the tray with a blood-red read me on the front. My chewing slowed as my heart rate quickened. 
I wasn't sure what this was, but I had a bad feeling about it. The spoon clinked against the bowl as it slipped from my grasp. Shaking hands, picking up the neatly folded paper and opening it. The handwriting looked oddly familiar, but that wouldn't make sense. I hadn't talked to her in years. Dear Mark, if you're reading this, it means I'm no longer able to protect you, and for that, I'm profoundly sorry. There are truths about your life that I've kept hidden, truths I hoped you'd never have to face. But now, it's time you knew everything. You've lived your life believing you have schizophrenia, and I cannot express how sorry I am for the burden this has put on you. The truth is, your condition was never a mental illness, but a consequence of a decision your father had made for us before you were born. Your father was involved in things I didn't understand, dark and evil things. I should have known. I should have done a better job protecting you. On the night my water broke, I got into the car. He said he was driving us to the hospital. I knew something was wrong, even before he went the wrong way, eventually driving down a gravel road to a field. There waited a circle of men wearing black robes and masks made of human skulls. They sat me in the center of a strange symbol carved in the freshly tilled earth and filled in blood. While I screamed as you came out of me, they performed their ritual. It was meant to bind your soul to an entity, an ancient being of immense power. The ritual claimed his life, and those of the others involved, a price they paid willingly and knowingly. In the aftermath, I didn't know what they had done, but I saw the changes in you. I sought help everywhere I could. Churches, clairvoyants, exorcists, healers. Anyone who might have an idea of what they had done. I was desperate to find a way to protect you from whatever they had done. I did eventually find an old man who'd contacted me from one of the many cryptic seeking help ads I'd posted. The only effective measure, he told me, was to numb your connection to this entity through antipsychotics, to stop it from feeding off your mind and taking your body. I convinced you and everyone else that you had a psychiatric condition. It was the only way to keep you safe, to keep it dormant. It was a desperate attempt to shield you from the evil your father unleashed upon you. I wish with everything that I have I could go back and take you away from him before all this. Mark, this entity is a part of you. It's attached itself to your soul in a way that I don't think can be undone. It lives within your subconscious, trying to claw its way out, trying to take control. You're not crazy. You don't suffer from delusions. While the entity is weak from a lifetime of deprivation, it has nothing but time and patience to work its way into the driver's seat. There's one more thing. They found you, that cult. They know where you are. They've been watching you, influencing you. I can only imagine the torment they put you through that caused you to end up here, like this. It breaks my heart, Marky. This is probably the last time you'll ever hear from me. Getting you this letter meant I had to leave hiding. They'll be coming for me. It was worth it just to see your face one last time. You look so handsome. I'm so proud of you. 
I can't imagine what you're going through, or the strength you've built up to deal with this over the years. Those people are everywhere. You can't trust anyone. Not right now. You need to get out of there any way you can, and disappear. New name, new job, new everything. Get those meds any way you can. There is no supply chain issue. They made that up. They're trying to help that entity take control of you. They're in the hospital watching you, manipulating you. Don't eat anything. Don't take anything. Destroy this letter. And don't let them know you know. I love you with all of my heart. And I'm so sorry for everything. Mom. My mind was racing a thousand miles a minute, taking in all this information. I couldn't believe it. I mean, how could this be true? Any of it? Perhaps this was all just a continued delusion. But the more I thought about it, the more it felt true. I could feel it deep inside my mind, worming its way through trying to replace me with it. That darkness. That wrongness. Then, I realized one of the last things she had said. Don't eat anything. My heart sank as heat rose through my chest and up the back of my neck, dizziness overtaking me. Shit. What have they given me? Just the voice creeped back in. Footsteps approached my door. The same heels I'd heard earlier. A woman pokes her head in the door and gives me a smile that for some reason unsettles me. Looks like somebody was hungry. Can I get you some more food? I gulp, feeling the implications stirring within my gut. Um, yeah, yes, please, thank you. I'll be right back. She turns around and her footsteps trail back down the hall. My mother was right. These people, they're out to get me. I have to get out of here. But with two broken legs, how? Just let go. I lay there in the hospital bed, the letter from my mother crumpled in my hand. Every word of it echoed in my mind intertwining with the sinister whispers that had haunted me for so long. The realization that my life, my struggles, were not just a figment of my disordered mind, but the result of a malevolent entity bound to my soul was both terrifying and oddly validating. The footsteps returned, louder this time, more determined. I feigned sleep barely peeking through my eyelashes. The woman re-entered, her smile now stretched too wide, her eyes too bright. Something was off, horribly off. She approached, a syringe in her hand, its contents unknown, but undoubtedly something bad. My heart pounded against my chest, a silent scream for escape. She crept close, leaning over, about to inject a syringe into my IV. I made my move. With all the strength I could muster, I lashed out, smashing my fist against the back of her head, knocking her over and sending the syringe flying. It clattered to the floor, shattering, the liquid pooling in a small puddle. She was crumpled in the corner her face looking even more wrong now that my eyes were all the way open. Just let go. The voice echoed out. I couldn't let go. I wouldn't. With a surge of adrenaline, I pushed myself off the bed, ignoring the searing pain in my legs. I crawled towards the door, dragging my broken body with sheer willpower. Behind me, the woman, or whatever she was, seemed to be regaining consciousness. I could hear movements and groaning, 
I managed to pull myself out of the room into the brightly lit corridor. The hospital seemed deserted, the normal sounds of activity eerily absent. I dragged myself along, my world spinning and my body racked with pain. Just let go. The whispers continued, now coming from all directions, echoing down the empty halls. The exit seemed miles away, but I kept crawling, each movement more of a struggle than the last. As I neared the exit, the air grew colder, the whispers louder, more insistent. But there was a new sound now, a faint melody that seemed to cut through the chaos in my mind. It was a lullaby, my mother's lullaby the one she used to sing to calm me down during my darkest moments as a child. I reached the doors as they opened themselves for me. The sunlight hit me like a wave of salvation, its warmth a polarity to the cold darkness of the hospital. I collapsed outside on the sidewalk, my breaths ragged and heart pounding. As I lay there, the world spinning around me, I could feel whatever they put in my food working its way through me. The entity was there, lurking in the shadows of my mind and feeding off the drug. It felt wrong inside my head, the spinning sensation mixing with dark, jagged shadows cutting across my thoughts. I looked up, and a group of people in dark tactical gear, moving with purpose and precision, approached me. They weren't like the twisted visages I had encountered in the hospital. These were professionals, their demeanor serious, their eyes scanning the surroundings. One of them, a man with sharp features and an unreadable expression, knelt beside me. Mark Henderson? He asked in a tone that broached no argument. Yes? I managed to croak out, my throat dry and voice barely a whisper. We're with the Bureau, he said, his gaze locked onto mine. We've been monitoring unusual activity in this area. Your situation has come to our attention. I stared at him in disbelief. Was this another hallucination? We can offer you protection and perhaps answers, he continued. But we need to move now. We're not the only ones interested in your condition. The offer of protection and answers was tempting. Almost too good to be true. But what choice did I have? Alone, I was vulnerable. Hunted by forces I couldn't begin to comprehend. And I couldn't even walk. With them, maybe there was a chance of understanding what was happening to me. Nodding weakly, I let them help me onto a stretcher. As they carried me away, I glanced back at the hospital. Its facade, now just another part of the cityscape, hiding the horrors that had transpired within. The whispers were still there, lurking at the edge of my consciousness. But for now, they were drowned out by the promise of safety and the pursuit of truth as the vehicle carrying me sped away. In the aftermath of the chilling tale of Mark Henderson, a man tormented by an entity bound to his soul, the Redwood Bureau's actions paint a grim picture of a cold and calculating organization more interested in containment and study than human welfare. Mark's struggle, initially perceived as schizophrenia, unraveled to reveal a darker truth, a malevolent entity, a product of an occult ritual performed on his pregnant mother. His life, unbeknownst to him, was a battleground for control between his own will and an ancient force. As the veil of his supposed mental illness lifted, The true nature of his condition became clear, but so too did the Bureau's ruthless methods. The Redwood Bureau, 
operating under the guise of protecting the public to those governmental agencies it interacts with, regularly crosses moral and ethical boundaries. In Mark's case, their interest wasn't in aiding a tormented soul, but in harnessing and studying the entity within him. His tragic fall and subsequent hospitalization were not the end of his ordeal, but the beginning of a new chapter of exploitation and observation. With Mark now under their watch, the Bureau will initiate a series of experiments and observations, seeking to understand the entity's capabilities and limitations. Their overall goal is to amass power and control. In their pursuit of knowledge, the lines between guardians and oppressors become disturbingly clear. Mark's story is a drop in the bucket to the countless lives impacted by the Bureau's hidden agenda, where human beings are reduced to mere subjects of study. This leaked report serves as a reminder of the Bureau's shadowy presence and their manipulation of events and people for their ends. It also hints at a larger interconnected web of phenomena, suggesting that Mark's ordeal is not an isolated incident. The Bureau's extensive reach and influence raise questions about the countless other cases they've intervened in, often leaving devastation in their wake. As the Bureau continues its operations, the need for transparency and accountability grows even more pressing. These leaked reports, like Mark's story, are crucial in shedding light on the Bureau's activities, prompting us to question the ethical implications of their actions and the true cost of their pursuit of the unknown. What's equally disturbing is the involvement of the unknown cult in manipulating Mark's life. They were able to orchestrate events and get their members into almost every fabric of Mark's life in little to no time at all. This isn't the first time we've seen organizations with this amount of control and influence, as well as a vast amount of members willing to die for their cause. Be careful what you believe and who you decide to trust.